Hello, welcome to Utopia Terrier. Stephen Chicken joined as usual by Optus David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Very good. How are you? All right, thank you. Feeling much better after Saturday's result, of course. A great way to kick off WrestleMania weekend, which I'm sure was everyone's main priority. Uh, no, Huddersfield Town, massively unexpected result, um, particularly given the scoreline at halftime and given everything that we'd, we'd said about Middlesbrough, both on this podcast and on the Andy Takes That Chance preview show about how Borough, if they score first, they're very good at killing off games. They score a lot of goals away from home. Uh, they're in very good form at the moment. They're chasing down Sheffield United. They're sitting third. Town are 1-0 down at the break, and they only go and win 4-2. Um, quite the turnaround, Dave. What what did you make of the game? Uh, I, I thought it was interesting. I, it, we all came in at half-time and all to a man. Um, we were chatting to the Matt Glennon, uh, John Helm, uh, Mel Booth, various other people, we, like they were one 0 down at half time, but we were all actually okay with Town's performance because we didn't think there was an awful lot else they could do really, didn't we? We we were all sort of all right, well, fair enough, and we the were all. goal was excellent, wasn't it as well? To be yeah, fair. we we were all fairly down on their prospects of getting anything from the game, but I think we were all like, you know, they're not doing too bad, but then I think. As Warnock himself said, they did go more positive second half, and I think that the big thing was getting that goal so quickly just mm. gave them a it gave them the boost they needed, but b it also deflated Borough, um, which was important. And then they went through a mini collapse themselves, and yeah, it was uh, yeah, it's the sort of the sort of season defining result we've been waiting for really you know that's not to say it's definitely going to be the one but it's that it's that type of game and that type of that type of goal where you go okay all right if we look back and they have been saved we will say yeah all right it was it was that moment that really was the sort of lighting of the touch paper as they say yeah, it's the first time Huddersfield Town have scored four goals in a game since January 2022. It's the first time they've held a three-goal lead in a game since they beat Peterborough 3-0 last March. You know, I, I asked, I wrote this in the conclusions, I asked Neil Warnock, where did that come from, as my first question, and I think he was a little bit offended by it. But I think we had good reason to, to sort of ask that question. It wasn't, I didn't mean it sort of disrespectfully I to him. It was just, Town have not scored goals this season and then they get four in 20 minutes. I think he, I don't think he was offended. I think he was just in full cocky, I'm going to say what I want because we've won mm-hmm. 4-1 mode. That was the war yeah. we had in the press conference, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, very much so. But, I mean, as I say, the, the Borough goal just before the break was excellent Ruffles <laughs> only scores good goals it feels like it's his third of the season now obviously got those two against QPR probably Towns to I I was minded to say it was Towns best goal of the season then I saw the replay and both of the touches that take it past defenders are actually tackles that go back into his path but I don't know if you count that against him he still had the, the wherewithal mm. uh, to take it through it's very poor goalkeeping from Zach Steffen it's straight at him really um, when you look at it again but but well struck and, and just couldn't react to it quickly enough and 
you always use the word Dave adrenaline, and you always say town don't run on adrenaline. That was mm. that was a massive, massive epipen, wasn't it, of a performance mm. after, the, after that that equaliser? Everyone just sort of came to life. I think Danny Ward was was massive in the game. He, he'd I don't want to say he struggled first half because he he didn't, but he was quite unsupported, and you could see him getting a bit annoyed as the the half went on because I think town started all right and then gradually sort of lost lost control of the game which then ended up in the goal um and Danny Ward was starting to get very annoyed just before half time that that they'd put the ball up to him and he'd either nod it down or nod it on or get it under control and look for a man and there'd be no one around him but second half it just shows that if you give Danny Ward the support and you give him the runners um, he can he can do great things. He set up Josh Cromer's goal. I think Josh Cromer had had a bit of a mixed bag of a first half, and then from the time he got the goal onwards, he was absolutely storming past Borough players. He was really really at it. Uh, Radoni I thought was excellent um, all afternoon as well. He he gets the the corner in. Uh, Helic nods it across for for Pearson to score, and then I actually thought in the stadium that Ward's. Um, assist for Pearson was a deflected shot but you're watching it again it's a lovely cross he it's exactly what he intends to do knocks it into the ground sees Pearson at the back post and Pearson puts it in and we've not heard the John Smith Stadium rocking like that for a long time and I think it was an appropriate performance against a Borough team who yes do score a lot of goals away from home but their defensive record away from home is not that good and I think it's interesting that that town have gone and got two results against two very different opponents that were exactly the results you needed for those scenarios. You know, Borough's philosophy away from home is very, you need to outscore us, and they did. And against Millwall, it's who's going to nick the odd goal, and they got the odd goal against Millwall. Very encouraging. Yeah, very much so. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, they've changed a lot tactically. So playing playing hoggy higher is, is helping in the press um, and also it's giving the defenders more responsibility at the back they're not he's not dropping in getting into their areas and i think it's working better i think having karoma drop back sort of 10 yards from his normal starting position and having some sort of proper cover for ruffles on that side has stopped teams targeting the left hand side you know and if they are 10 15 minutes in they're quickly realizing there's there's not much joy to have over there anyway and I think Radoni's role as 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 a runner and a presser is mm. is really working as well. Um, so it's it's they found a way. You know, we we spoke about it on other podcasts. They found a way to to get all the pieces together and on the pitch. And Saturday really was the 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 end result of that. And uh, like, there's no denying the breaks went their way Saturday. Yeah, but. It, it, like you earn your luck, don't you? And that's the first time, really. I think they've they've earned their luck. And Warnock says he told them to be more positive at half time. I I suspect he told them a little bit more than that as well. But yeah, they they got their blood up. They got Matty Pearson on as centre forward. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was good. It was good to see, and it was good to see the stadium like that, which it hasn't been for a long time, and rightly so because they haven't had anything to cheer about. So this is that's not a dig at the fans. It's it's been dreadful, and it was it was a good afternoon, and uh, yeah, it, like the big difference is all season I've had sort of mates who are saying 
I, I don't know if I can be bothered to go on Saturday. I don't know if I can be bothered to go to the next game, etc. Suddenly that Blackburn game on Bank Holiday Monday, uh, like everybody's, everybody fancies it, everybody's up for it. You know, suddenly everybody's like, oh yeah, we'll have a bit of that. And that's, if Town are going to get out of this, and it, it's still a reasonable ask, even though teams around them are helping them out a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. And you could, there is arguments to be made, it's almost in their hands if Reading get that, that points deduction we're suspecting as well this week. Yeah, they 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 need to just they need to push on from here. the The key thing is they're not going to win every game from here. Yeah. But neither is anybody else. So what they have done is they have at least put themselves in a position where they've got a chance of getting out of it now. And not only have they done that, they've done their goal difference the world of good as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's encouraging signs. A few weeks ago, we did a podcast where we basically had to sort of do it as Towner at rock bottom, and now it feels that that really was a sort of line in the sand, and that they are fighting now, which is good. Yeah, I think we were our position then was sort of we'd be daft not to be talking as if yeah. relegation is is almost a certainty. You know that the. the we always say you and I are very wait and see about things, but I think at that point it would have been inappropriate for us to be, you know, try to be upbeat or try to be wishy-washy about about where they were because they really were in, in dire straits. When, mm-hmm. when I looked at the numbers, no team had ever survived. In 30 years of second-tier football, no team had ever survived from the position that, that town were in and they've managed to pull themselves back into it. I, I think the big thing on Saturday was they actually took their chances. You know, you, you mm-hmm. talk about... You talk about things going their way. I said to you, it sort of reminded me, the game it most reminded me of was the the 4-1 win over Swansea a couple of years ago where it was just town didn't really do much in the game, but every shot they had sort of flew in the top corner kind of thing. Um, but but looking at it again afterwards and reflecting on the game, having a bit of time to reflect on it, I don't think it, it was that. I think it was just really the first time this season that Town have taken their chances. You know, you, looking at the XG, it's only the fourth time this season they've got above... Uh, two expected goals they hadn't won any of the other three games and those were against Sunderland where it was very much town created that was town created loads and loads of chances didn't put any away Sunderland got them on the break twice one of them was against Wigan very early in the season uh, under Danny Schofield where they ended up losing and one of them was against Blackpool the two all Mark Fotheringham's last game in charge and we know how costly um, those games were to, to town, particularly Wigan and Blackpool, which are games that they they should have won. Um, but this game, they've you know, it's can't ignore that Borough also had <laughs> nearly three expected goals on the mm. docket. But it's really the first time this season that we've seen Town taking their chances um, and making sure the opposition were, were limited in, in taking theirs uh, and getting a little bit of luck as well and and got the three points and it's, it's a great, great time to start doing it. I mean, you'd rather they'd done it earlier in the season and weren't in the bottom three at the moment because we, we can't get too carried away. We're very high on this performance and I think we're a hell of a lot more hopeful about their survival prospects now than we were a few weeks ago, but we do need to just bear in mind that they are still in the bottom three Two teams above them both have a game in hand, which admittedly is against one another, but but at least one of them is going to pick up points. Um, thankfully, they can't both win it. 
but they've they've also on the other hand got three teams ahead of them who are within three points now um not to mention as you well you have mentioned what what might happen with reading if they get points deduction how much is that points deduction going to be town do have to play cardiff and reading and I think it, you say that and sort of think, well, they'll win those games. They could go and lose both those games and end up relegated as a result. But mm. as you say, there is actually legitimate hope now. And and I think for all intent, mathematically, it's not quite in their hands. But I think for all intents and purposes, it, it is in their hands at this point, realistically. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think... What is absolutely vital is that they've they've found uh, they found a way of playing and they found a sort of first eleven or so sort of first nine really with a couple of players mm-hmm. rotating in and out that is working for them because one of the things we've sort of seen all season and we've commented on here is that there's been a lot of round pegs in square holes and there's been a lot of systems that don't quite fit and there's been a lot of players being asked in a way that doesn't really suit them but we're sort of they're trying to facilitate other people and I think the big difference is that Warnock has now come in and said well no I want I want sort of nine players on the pitch who are doing the things they're best at and then one player who may have to adapt and fit in but it is what it is and I think it, ha- it there are significant differences tactically there are they look, they look. I mean, I hate to say it, Steve, because it's one of those things that's slightly unquantifiable. But they also look a bit fitter to me. They look that they, they are a little bit more capable, a little bit fitter, you know. And I think part of that is the adrenaline. I think part of that is belief, you know, and having a bit of hope. It does just give you a sort of extra couple of percent in your legs sometimes. And you look at the fixtures and, yeah, there's some daunting fixtures, but it is important to remember that nobody else down there is going to win every game. Nobody is going to go on a mad seven-game run and, and take 21 points. So I think what is key, they've got to win their home games. That's the thing. And that's a very high bar when you look at you know Blackburn, for instance, coming on Monday, but I do think they have to win their home games. So there's still a hell of a lot of work to be done. I don't think me or you are totally convinced yet that they're going to get out of it, that this could be a full storm. We don't know. But what we've been looking for is a ray of light, is a is a silver lining, isn't it? And here we are. We now have that glimmer. And it's it's on them to take it. If they can put together their only run of the season at the right time and pull themselves out of it, then fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah, you mentioned putting players in the right places. We we saw Josh Caroma on the left to, to, um, on the on Saturday. He had been playing on the right previously, but Dwayne Holmes coming back in, unfortunately, then went off uh, injured again midway through the first half, which is. Sad to see, you know, spent over two months fighting to to get back fit and then has to go off midway through the first half. Um, and, and not sure on that, but with so many, you know, with so few games left, there's there's only about a month left in the season. If there's if that's any kind of, you know, anything mm. more than a minor injury, then he's probably out for the season, you would think. But I thought it was interesting that when Ben Jackson came on, he stuck with Karoma on the left. And, and I think we would all mm. say that Karoma is more dangerous on the left. We know he likes to do exactly what he did for the second goal, which yeah. is cut, coming onto his right foot and put it into the net. And 
you know, I th- you mentioned there are a couple of players who might have to play in roles that they're maybe not ideally suited for. I think Ben Jackson on the right, you know, is a left back playing on the right wing um, on Saturday. But I think it was worth stick keeping him there to accommodate Karoma. And I, and I do wonder if that might be something that, that Warnock looks to do more in future. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that, I, I think it's worth having a little word about Josh Ruffles as well, because... He's now, uh, again, I'm not, please understand that I'm not having a go at him here, but without having to sort of cover for Will Boyle that side, because Mm -hmm. he's got a better defender next to him. And with having some proper midfield cover ahead of him, and very rarely being exposed one-on-one, he suddenly looks more comfortable and a lot better. I still think... There are limitations to his game, but there is no denying he looks a much better defender than he did even six games ago, really. And I think that those sort of um, that little upping of, you know, Jack Rodone is another one who he's never ever going to score ever. You know, I think we're both convinced <laughs> of that. He's been he's been cursed, unfortunately. So until he gets Barry Fry to win in every corner in the ground, there's a reference for you, kids. Um, He's never ever going to score, but his role as a presser and a runner and sort of a, a you know platforming other people around him is really really working. And yeah, we've we've spoke on the podcast twice about Warnock having a lot more tactical intricacy than he's given credit for. The thing is, he has he has quite a basic system for the team, but where the intricacy comes in is he, he has individuals do certain things and he adjusts for his opposition. Now that sounds like quite simplistic, but we've had two town managers already this season who I would argue didn't do that. I mean, you could you could you could say three really if we are going to include Narciss and be a bit cruel about it, but. And that's the difference, you know. That's the difference. That's where suddenly they look more competent. And I mean, you're exactly right to point out that Middlesbrough had their chances too, and they didn't take them. But uh, you know, when you've got a game like that, and it is quite open, XG will be fairly high. The only yes. thing that really matters is the team that take their chances. And for the first time this season, that was Huddersfield Town, and that is how they've got to continue because they are going to give up chances to Blackburn. You know, there's there's yeah. absolutely no denying that. They've got to be. They've got to be clinical again. I mean, I think they finished with twenty six percent possession. Yeah. Huddersfield Town on on Saturday. Now twenty four, I think it was. Now possession is the worst statistic in football because it tells you very very little. But I think in this instance, what it does point towards is what their game plan was and just mm-hmm. how clinical they were, and it and it worked. And I would. I would be staggered if they didn't go for basically more of the same, which is to do the bulk of their work off the ball and then try and take their chances when they when they have them. Um, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see. As I said, it's all about giving yourself a fighting chance and finally they've done that. Yeah, I mean, they scored as many goals in those 20 minutes in the second half as they had in the previous nine games. I think yeah. we wouldn't have we wouldn't have backed town to win a game that had a high XG, is exactly mm. the point. And, you know, who knows if they can maintain that. But I think there's, there's signs that it is starting to work, as you say. And I think Danny Ward has obviously been massively mm. integral to that. Um, he looks very much like he's enjoying his football again, as I think we sort of expected him to after Neil Warwick came in. We know that he's 
Neil Warnock's favourite. Uh, we talked about it before, and we know that he loves working for Neil Warnock. He's worked for him twice before at, at Rotherham and Cardiff. And we also know that on his day, Danny Ward can be one of the best lone strikers in this division. He's so good, both in the build-up and around the box. And we, we saw that with the two assists that he got, one coming from mm. inside his own half, making a run, coming inside, and then putting in Karoma. And another one where he's got into the box, spotted Pearson and, and picked him out with, with a lovely ball. He's had a goal and two assists um, in his last two games. I think it was the previous 21 games he'd, he'd managed to get the same total. Keeping Danny Ward fit could be hugely important to town survival hopes at this point, couldn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people know my feelings on Danny Ward. I think he's, he's, he's at his best. He does an unbelievable job for the team. They also know that I like strikers who score goals. He didn't score goals, but if you're going to have an unselfish striker I don't think for a second he's a false nine because they don't play that way but if you're going to have an unselfish striker who is there to try and you know facilitate people like Karoma one side or win and scrap and fight for the ball against three defenders I mean that was an absolutely exemplary performance of how to do it from Danny Ward on, on Saturday and he frustrates some people because he's not a traditional number nine. He doesn't necessarily shove defenders over. He doesn't sharpen his elbows before he goes out. The sheer amount of ground he covers. I mean, running data is one of those things that nobody has access in football to other than the clubs themselves. But Not at this level anyway. No. But the ground he covers... The ground he covered on Saturday was was phenomenal. First half and second half. And first half, it was that very typical thing of often he was trying to win the ball from three defenders. And it, and it is a thankless task. You know, it is tough. So you've got to have someone like Danny Ward whose attitude is just to keep going, just to keep going. And these games where he gets his, his reward and he gets a goal or an assist like he did... They're great because they're like, you think, well, yeah, he absolutely deserves that because how many games pass by where he deserves to get something and doesn't, but it's largely down to sort of those around him, really. So keeping him fit is massive because Martin Waghorn can't do what Danny Ward does, Jordan Rhodes can't do what Danny Ward does, and Tyree Simpson can't do what Danny Ward does. So for, for Warnock's Huddersfield Town going forward... Yeah, keeping him on the pitch is a is a big thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's Town's two best performances of the season. Six points from, I think, two games where if they'd taken no points, we'd say all right. <laughs> well, or at least we'd one one point. I think probably would have been our sort of our prediction. So they've taken six from that. I mean, you you look at just to go back to that league table. I'm I, I'm not the top twenty agreed with me on this. Obviously, Cardiff, they've got to, to, to catch. That's that's the team directly ahead of them. But, I mean, you pointed out QPR's goal difference, worse than Towns. Mm-hmm. They're only three points ahead. They're in the worst yeah. form of anyone in the division. Uh, I think since Town, they were top in October. And since then, I believe they've been the worst team in the division. They're showing no signs of, of getting really any better at this mm-hmm. point. They might be the ones to catch, and it's it's nice now to be looking at not just Cardiff, but looking at potentially the teams above that and going, well, they're catchable at this point. Um, what what would if you had to sort of put a mortgage payment on it? How do you see this season going from here? I I honestly think it's in their hands. I I think mm. Town are going to stay up. I do. I hate to say it, <laughs> but 
I just think they're they're putting a run together at the right time, mm. and I think that it look right. I'm not I'm not damning with faint praise, and I'm not trying to play it down or anything like that. But I think you have to be realistic, and you have to say that this is largely because teams around them are so bad. There are five or six teams in that division who are equally bad and probably deserve to go down. And unfortunately, you have to put Town in that group with them because they've been in the relegation places for all but two weeks of the season and they I think it was week two and week three that they weren't but I I just think you can sort of see it coming and as I said I don't think they're going to win every game but I I just think they are going to catch someone they are going to catch someone QPR as I said are the ones I've got my eye on because they are so bad and they look to be caught in a death spiral to me you know, sometimes you look at a club and you look at a team and you think they are, they're just fated. You can see it coming and they're dropping like a stone. I think Reading could get six points, which makes their position very, very interesting to say the least. And I am, uh, how can I say this charitably? I'm not much, I'm not much of a believer in Paul Lintz's management, Stephen. I think that's how I can say it charitably. So I think the teams are there to catch, and I think I think yeah I I can see what I can see Town getting now probably anything up to another ten points okay which you know a few games ago absolutely no chance mm. I didn't think that had happened but I could see them getting you know like a minimum of eight but I could see them getting ten and I think that probably could be enough Steve I think yeah. that could be enough and. Like we, we can go on to debate the merits of that because I think staying in the championship, I think on one hand it's vital, but on the other hand I think it gives some huge issues for the summer because they, they've they got to avoid this happening again. They've got to do some serious upcycling of that squad. I think the new manager has got a huge task ahead if Warnock saves them because everybody's going to go, well, we just want Neil Warnock, who are you? I think there's all sorts of problems, but just just get safe first. <laughs> just do it first. Yeah, yeah. You'd rather start from in the championship. You'd, yeah. It's not, you'd have huge issues if you went down. More huge issues and more serious yeah. huge issues, wouldn't you, really? So. Yeah, but the, I mean, the other side of it is I just think that it, if you were asking me for a mortgage payment on something before the end of the season, I think the one thing that will happen is I think it's going to go down to the final day. Uh, I, I hope at that point Town's fate is in their own hands. But I think it probably will go down to the final day. I don't think there's going to be a point at which we're going to be able to relax and put our feet up before the season's end. Yeah. I'm just looking at from the last time QPR won. Uh, sorry, from, from 23rd of October onwards, which isn't the last time they won. 23rd of October onwards when they were, were I believe, top of the league. Town have taken 27 points in that time from 24 games, which isn't brilliant. QPR have taken 12 points from 23 games mm. <laughs> which um, and, and they, t- the, the problem they've got is they don't score goals they concede way too many goals and there has been games that they've just they've chucked away in ridiculous circumstances can I point towards Huddersfield, uh, QPR 1 Huddersfield Town 2 <laughs> as a perfect yeah. example of, of a game that they just chucked away they just look to me to be caught in a death spiral, but we'll see. I might be wrong. Yeah, I I think if I were putting a mortgage payment on, I would probably. If you made me do it now, gun to your head, I th- I think I would say stay up. 
but I think it's very ask me again after Easter weekend because we, you and I, could be sitting here this time next week saying that they've they've blown their chance. You know, if if they lose both of those games and are really poor in both of them, and Cardiff go and win both their games and QPR pull the result out of the bag and etc. etc. Then it's sort of back to square one, and they've mm. they've lost all the momentum that that they have at the moment, but. Can't predict the future. I think looking at the the fixture difficulty, I've got a big spreadsheet, obviously, that tells me how difficult everyone's fixtures are at any given point um, based on the league table and who they've still got to play. And Town did have the hardest one a few weeks ago, but they've got through most of the run of hard games. No disrespect to to obviously they've still got they've still got a tough games in there. Don't get me wrong. Watford, Blackburn, Sheffield United are all tough games, but. QPR have the second hardest in the league. Rotherham's are harder on paper than Huddersfield's. Reddins are equal to Huddersfield's on paper. Um, and, yeah, who knows? You, you, as you say, they've at least given themselves a fighting chance now. I think the performances have been much better. And I think there's, it's as I say, it's the fact that they've not just... If they had won... If they'd done the same to Borough that they did against Millwall, where they'd, they'd won 1-0 and eked out a win... I think I probably would be a little bit less less high on their survival chances, but it's just the fact that they've done something we haven't seen them do, do for months and months and months, to be honest, since last season, and gone and delivered that kind of mm-hmm. high-scoring result where they've outscored, you know, they've conceded two and it hasn't mattered. When was the last time, was it Reading last year they conceded two and, and still won? Yeah, and but they also, they just don't look so... Timid, and I don't mean in front of goal. Mm. I mean, I just that how many times this season on this podcast have we used the word passive and they don't look passive anymore because even though they came away with like 24% possession on, on Saturday, you could see the work they were doing off the ball, mm-hmm. and you could see a lot of that was by design. And that is that is the big difference to me. You know, they are being more proactive in games finally. And if you're proactive in games, you give yourself a better chance. So, yeah, it's it's. I can't believe the turnaround really from the podcast we did. I think it was not last one, the one before maybe, where like you say, we had to sort of treat it as rock bottom, and we did discuss it before, and we had to say, look, you know, we basically have to we have to treat them as down at this point. The turnaround phenomenal you know let's just sit let's just hope it continues we've also had news on the ownership front uh over the international break the the have buyer we? has been named Somebody should have mentioned it i know uh, all right twitter um kevin m nagel has been named as the buyer the the owner of sacramento republic i think everyone is still keen to get more information about what the vision is for the club What's his level of investment likely to be? What are the terms of the takeover, etc., etc. But that will come in the fullness of time. I think, importantly, when you and I first Googled his name, we had the same message, which is, hang on, is it a bit weird that he can't support a bid to MLS? He can't fund that. And then you actually look at the sums involved and it's like, okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> you're looking at $325 million just to get the franchise in MLS, let alone they also expect you to spend about $600 million on stadiums and infrastructure and and all of that business. So you're looking at basically a billion dollars to, to take an MLS place. Um, you could buy three Brighton and Hove Albion for that, probably. 
wouldn't um, you want to? Wouldn't you want to, Steve? Brighton and Hove and Brighton and Hove and Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, so, yeah, that that's the level that we're dealing with. As I say, we we still need the details, but I think importantly when we've spoken to... Oh, sorry, we didn't speak to... Andy takes that chance to beat me to it. Spoke to the SB Nations expert on, on the LA area in, in soccer, Alicia Rodriguez. She said there were no particular alarm bells. Um, you talk to Sacramento Republic fans, and I think they are have some understandable frustrations that their MLS bid didn't go through. Um, but that was, I think, down to they had a, a, a billionaire investor on, ball, on board, Ron Burkle, who then, after a couple of years, dropped out because of, of the effects of, of COVID uh, on the economy, etc., which sort of has put them back to, to square one and looking for a new investor. But having a look around, there isn't a lot of alarm bells ringing after a week of of, of digging into Kevin M. Nagel. No, I, I, you know, we know as much as anybody else. I think the, I think a lot of people are alarmed because a lot of people because this is modern football because this is twenty twenty three. The first thing they googled wasn't Kevin M. Nagel. It was what is Kevin M. Nagel worth. And I think I don't know how or why, but I got screenshotted a load of screenshots of the figure three million quid. There is an there's an actor who has the name Kevin Nagel, and I think right. some of it is him. Okay, because I was like, well, hang on a sec. He couldn't even buy the club for that. Never mind anything going forward. So we've put that to one side. My information is that he he he's worth certainly worth more than Dean Hoyle. I don't think you're talking about a Roman Abramovich billionaire-esque type thing here, but I also don't think there are any worries about funding going forward. Who knows? You look at his business model and you look at what he's tried to do with Sacramento, it's it's often bringing investment on board. English football is extremely investable, so you, you could potentially see something in the next year or two with with maybe 10 or 20% of Huddersfield Town going to somebody. I've, I've no idea. I don't think I, I think town fans have to understand that they're about to enter a very different era of ownership they are used to their owner doing q and a's and speaking to them regularly that that's not going to happen <laughs> that's not going to happen because he's on another continent so things are going to change and it's a huge summer ahead a huge summer ahead doesn't matter what league they're in um mm. there are the to-do list is is massive, absolutely massive. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we go on over the next few weeks and and what what are the sort of priorities on that to-do list. We know very little about the deal itself, and for me, the big question mark, as remains the same thing we've spoke about a lot, is the stadium. I think the stadium, mm-hmm. what happens with that stadium in the immediate future and then the long-term future is pretty key to the fortunes of this this football club really um on a few levels so i'm i'm interested to see what the work around what the plan is for that but yeah i i'm i'm like you i think there are very few alarm bells ringing at the moment i think um you look at what's interesting is you look at the two areas and there are a lot of weird parallels between sacramento and huddersfield um in terms of the sort of makeup of the 
of the population of the uh, the way the towns are <laughs> yeah sort of being seen. in the shadow of larger cities but nearby yeah. yeah um and sort of scrapping and and fighting that sort of working class ethos so i think that's quite interesting i a couple of people have sort of said well he's a bit like an american version of dean hoyle i think when you dig into it i don't quite agree with that if i'm if i'm brutally honest but yeah i th- i think it's i said when the news broke that the sale had been done that i thought it was it was legitimate to be excited about it i think now we know who it is I think, yeah, it's still legitimate to be quite excited and intrigued and interested about what happens going forward. And we've just got to wait and see because we have... It's not like we've got one tweet on it, Steve. That's Mm. what we're working on at the moment. So a lot of people have sent me a lot of information about apparently this, that and that is going to happen. Nobody knows anything at the moment. So let's let's just wait and see what happens. I am incredibly uh, intrigued. I'm sort of you. You know, I'm sort of from the the school of thought that says the less you know about an owner, the better they usually are in general, because the it's the bad ones that get the press really. But I, I'm very intrigued in his his first interview because I I'd really like to know sort of where he's coming from on this and and you know where he sees going in the future. So I'm looking forward to that first whether it's youtube or with you or wherever it is really i'll be studying that in great detail to learn a little bit more myself i think what alicia rodriguez said was that at sacramento he's been quite hands-off in terms of the day-to-day run of the club he's sort of he'll send supportive tweets um and that is him on twitter by the way i'm 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 told um reliably told so he's quite he he will get people in place is, is what he's done with his with with mm. Sacramento Republic is it's also what he's done with his businesses Steve when yeah. you dig into it he's very much uh, um I would rather employ somebody who's more intelligent than me than do it myself and that look, ultimately is on a different continent so that's exactly what that's exactly that's, what it's what you want yeah exactly yeah. there's been a couple of names suggested in the press who knows what what sort of validity that there is on that we'll, we'll see in time but yeah i think as i say at the moment we'll, we'll we'll keep keep looking it's not that we're sort of looking for to 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 rake up muck on him but obviously we need to also do our due diligence and as i say a week on there's sort of there's no particular alarm bells ringing at this stage which which you have to take as encouraging i think um and we'll see where we go from here i think as as pertains to the stadium you know now that and i'm sure there will be other bits and bobs that town need to do around the takeover you know we know that the authorities sometimes ask for clarification on things or ask for revisions on the on submissions and things like that um and that there's meetings with with efl etc um as as part of the test between the owners and and about the the takeover and about the bidders etc but i think it the the hard yards have sort of been done at this point hopefully mm. so as it pertains to the stadium i think dave baldwin talked when he was first hired six months ago that that looking at the stadium was part of his remit and i think that now that sort of the pay, the main the bulk of the paperwork has been signed and they're just waiting for the approvals it could be that the next couple of months he spends working on that stadium and, and getting something lined up for when nagel comes in mm. even if it doesn't get done before then um 
he can, you know, potentially look at that. Who knows? That they're, they're keeping all of this sort of quite close to their chest at the moment, the club. But uh, I dare say that there is an opportunity there for them to, to, to look into that um, and try and get something lined up. But we'll see. That's one for another day, though. Um, I think, obviously, once we, we get the takeover completed and we get into the summer, we'll all we'll get a clearer idea. But at the moment, I think it's all about what they do on the pitch, isn't it? You know, I think the international break, it was a, a welcome sideshow to have this news. But I think now they've got seven games remaining. Um, they have a little bit. They've got one weekend off because of Sheffield, the Sheffield United game being moved. Uh, it has been moved again, in case you hadn't seen. So it's now on Thursday, the 4th of May. Um, so hopefully Sheffield United are already promoted by then, you would hope, um, as we said last week. But um, it's all about what they do on the pitch now. And I think things are looking a lot better than, than they did a few weeks ago, as we've said. Fingers crossed they can get the job done. Because, as you said last time, you and I would rather be going to championship games next season than, than League One games. Um, not to say nothing of, of what the fans might think of it. Um, music recommendation. Steve, there's a website that I think is going to do quite well. It's called YouTube. That is Y-O-U-T-U-B-E. And if you go on YouTube and you put in Tall Paul Essential Mix 1995... It will take you to my favourite essential mix of all time, featuring cracking remixes of Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, Rhythm is a Mystery by K-Class, there's a bit of Blondie in there, there's a bit of New Order, it's just, it's it's a brilliant essential mix that I listen to about once every couple of months in full and then do the usual and listen to it again and then again the day after and then again the day after that so it's Tall Paul 1985 essential, uh, 1995 essential mix on YouTube Y-O-U-T-U-B-E uh, I'm going to go with Malibu by Anderson Pack, who has quite a few good albums but I think this one is by far his most cohesive um, and chilled out and also has to be honest, all of my favourite bangers are his on there. Um, Malibu by Anderson Pack. Lovely stuff. Thanks, Dave, for joining us. Uh, we will see you next time on Who To Be A Terrier. And thank you again, uh, because I forgot to do it last week, to everyone who supported uh, the big sleep out. And I said that I would shout out all the names of people that are donated. So I'll do that now. Uh, right. James Leach, James Bentley, Dean Reed, Justin Rush, Neil Wayne, uh, Paul Senior, Simon Bailey, Laura Cook. I think that's my sister-in-law. If it's not, you've got the same name. Uh, Franji W, Stephen Chicken, cool guy. Mike Tyson, good to see him showing support for local charities. I actually do know Mike Tyson. Watch WrestleMania with Mike Tyson. Not that one. Jerry Hinnan, Mark Harrison, some fella called Ryan Keeney. And another mm. called David Hartrick. Uh, Trist- yeah. Tristan HTSA, Paul, Richard Haywood, RJ, John Martlew, Pete Dawson. Sorry, I'm sort of skipping the anonymouses here. Uh, Lee Hales, K. Iopender, uh, big fan of, of Tom, Tom Iopender in the, the Academy, of course. Uh, John Broadley, Heather Haywood, Mark Bradley, Ed Smith, Tom Neal, Vanessa Adams, and Alexandra Chicken. A few of you have been shouted out twice because uh, I did it a few weeks ago as well. Thank you so much to everyone who donated. Uh, we got to £1,290 on uh, my bit, over £10,000 
overall uh, and congratulations and well done to in fact it was over 11,000 in the end to the town foundation uh, for organising that and to everyone who took part as well uh, and we'll be on to pedal for pounds when we get closer to the Cardiff game I'm not doing it I'm not doing that you doing it Dave no I unfortunately <laughs> I have a knee made out of glass and a back made out of sweet papers and sand so no I can't I'm, I'm just chronically overweight lovely see you next time goodbye see you there